0: Hey guys, listen up. I know these days when you watch the news, it feels like it's one hit after another and it's all bad news for the economy. Well, let me give you some good news. It's not all that bad when it comes to real estate. Let me explain. You see, a year ago, man, real estate was hot, hot, hot. Everybody and their brother was trying to go out and buy another house. What did that mean? It was so competitive that a lot of folks got discouraged. So let me ask you, have you thought about buying a house in the last couple of years, but Maybe you just couldn't win a bid. I used to hear that all the time. Well, now is the time to buy. Yes, interest rates have creeped up a little bit, but what that's created is an opportunity for you. A year ago, it wasn't uncommon for there to be more than a dozen offers on a home, many of which were over-list. That is not the case today. So if you got discouraged once before about trying to buy a new house, now's the time to take another look. Now, yes, interest rates have creeped up a little bit, but you're not gonna overpay for the home. But here's what you will do. You'll stop throwing your money away on rent, and now you'll get a greater tax deduction. That's right. You see, at the end of the year, you're gonna get a statement from your mortgage company that shows how much interest you paid, and you get to write all of that interest off. That means you could get a huge tax deduction. You never get that as a renter. Not only that, homes are still going up in value. Don't believe the hype. All of the economists believe long-term real estate always works out. Let me give you an example. Maybe way back when, in the housing collapse of 2008, you bought in 2007 and maybe overpaid. Buddy, if you hung in there, that house is worth a whole heck of a lot more now. If you've played in the stock market, you know what I'm talking about. You only lose money when you throw in the towel. Real estate long-term always performs well. So here's my advice to you. Date the rate, marry the house. Find the house that you and your family love, long-term. Because here's what's not long-term higher rates. I've yet to see a single economist who doesn't agree with me that rates are going to return. So doesn't it make sense to get the house you want right now? And then when rates improve, man, just get a lower monthly payment. In the meantime, you'll enjoy a greater tax deduction and that property is going to continue to appreciate, meaning you're building equity and wealth for yourself. Not only that, how about this? We're going to save you some cash at buywithconrad.com. We're going to give you the peace of mind of a seven year guarantee when rates improve over the next seven years, not if, but when that's my prediction, we'll refinance you again with no new origination points. Think about that. That could save you thousands of dollars and give you the peace of mind of knowing that you got the right house for your family right now. And then when the rates improve, man, get a lower monthly payment. Now you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but you do need to hurry to buywithconrad.com. That's the first step. You tell us how much you want to put down and what you want your monthly payment to be. We get you approved and then you go shopping just like a cash buyer at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number six five zero eight four. equal housing lender. Seriously, if you've thought about buying a house over the last couple of years, but you got discouraged, now's the time to take another look. Let me run the numbers for you right now. You'll be glad you did at (laughs) buywithconrad.com.
1: Welcome to something, to something to Wrestle with. Welcome to Wrestle with. First, Pritchard. Who's Well, you know. Hello, everybody. It's September 22nd, 1997. Wait a minute, no it's not, it's November 9th, 2022, I'm Eric Bischoff, sitting in for Conrad Thompson, who is basking on a beach somewhere in Florida, enjoying the sunshine while I freeze my ass off here up in Cody, Wyoming, it's wintertime, but I'm I'm good with it, man, because I get to hang out with my buddy
2: Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, how the hell are you? Wait a minute, I'm wonderful, Conrad said that we were going to do an expose on Eric Bischoff today, that was my understanding... Well, it's,
1: maybe it's going to be a little bit of both, because we're going to talk about the Survivor Series 1997. I can't believe we're still talking about this. People are still interested in this. It's I guess it's wrestling lore at this point. But we're going to talk about it differently than everybody else, because you were sitting on one side of the trench in this battle between WCW and WWE at the time, and I was, of course, on the other side of it and we each have our own unique perspectives at that time. So this will be a little bit different. In a way, I'm looking forward to it, but in a way I'm not, because I've got to sit here and look at all of these these notes from the observer. And shout-out to uh, Derek Sabato for doing a great job trying to put this timeline together. But every time I read more than a half a paragraph of Dave Meltzer, my vertigo gets so bad I almost fall out of my chair. So if you guys lose me anywhere along the line – Just know that it was a vertical-induced
2: collapse.
1: Ooh. Well,
2: that's how I kind of handle it, Eric, of just saying. And here's, here's what is going to make it unique. Again, as you said, you were on one side of the coin, and I was on the other side of the coin. I think that we have heard... From the guy that was in the middle, that being Bret Hart, and you know, Bret has his version of things. We all have our version of things. Not that anybody's right and or wrong. It's just completely different perspectives. And frankly, I don't think that you and I have ever discussed this.
1: No, we uh, we we talked. To, you know, we did that one podcast together, that live show together when Chris Jericho was was our uh, moderator. And we, we talked about a number of things, but this wasn't one of them. So this is going to be really interesting. And like you, Bruce, you know, I've learned from, from doing this and listening to guys who were friends of mine and, and others who weren't necessarily friends of mine. But, you know, you listen to people tell stories over the last two decades. And I think people kind of start filling in the blanks and making the the stories a little bit more interesting. They don't necessarily mean to lie or deceive but after about two decades, this shit gets all twisted up, and the facts kind of get lost somewhere in the ether. So this will be kind of fun.
2: Well, I, I think that, the, that one of the things that came out of doing the podcast and talking about this is I had not seen Brett since uh, Owen's funeral. And I saw him for the first time in 2019, maybe 2018, in a signing somewhere. And it was absolutely, it was almost like no time had gone by in seeing Brett. And it was a lot more of, of the old good Brett that I remember. <laughs> and, and again, I always liked Brett, but it, it, I, I didn't know what to expect. And Brett says, hey, I'd really like to talk to you about your podcast and pulled me off to the side and thanked me and said, you know, I don't agree with everything that you said. But yours was the most honest and, you know, uh, kind of unbiased report that he had ever heard uh, from the other side. And again, I just you know said, well, this is how I saw it from my perspective. This is this is how I took it from my perspective, and not anybody else's. And I I just always appreciated that from Brett going. Well, first of all, thank you, and and uh, I thought it was cool that he. He liked the representation that we had done on the podcast before. But this will be a little different because we'll be talking about that evil son of a bitch that was on the other side there at WCW dangling those billions upon billions of dollars in front of Brett and promising him the world, promising him, I think, eight major motion pictures a month, Um, (laughs) a Rolls Royce chauffeur limousine wherever he went. Uh, the, the, gold, the gold bathrooms in his private jet I thought was a little excessive, Eric. I'm just saying.
1: Well, I think he got that from being around Vince. You know, I don't think he ever saw a golden bathroom on a private jet until he started working with Vince. Oh. Let's just jump right into it, brother. Let me ask do let before we do, why do you think people are still so interested in this story? I mean, it's got legs. Why?
2: I, I think it was the first time that we had exposure to th- that major media picked up on it for whatever reason, whether it was Mike Lansbury in Toronto that just kind of grabbed hold. We were both popular at the time, man. We, you know, both companies were, we were doing well, you guys were doing great. And, There were a lot of eyeballs on us, and it was that pivotal moment where reality came into fiction, and then in the outside world, the legitimate media, if you will, picked up on it. Like, oh, my God, like this was a news story. Um, To me, it was One Night in Montreal. But I think that people gravitated to it because they got a glimpse behind the curtain for the first time, and it was acknowledged.
1: One Night in Montreal sounds like a porn. Well... Is something you'd find
2: on Pornhub? Well, you know, you probably could. You know how many searches are going to (laughs) be on Pornhub for one night in Montreal? All right. So
1: I was just about ready to jump in. I think one of the things, too, looking back at this time is, you know, 97 is WCW was probably at its peak. 97 was probably our best year, early part of 98. But this was like... Everybody knew there was competition, right, because we'd been going head to head on Monday nights since 95, late 95, third quarter, 95, fourth quarter. Um, But now, you know, that competition is escalating and escalating and it's getting more serious. And now you've got this confrontation, this angle, this screw job that's kind of like a physical manifestation of what was otherwise just like Coke and Pepsi. Right, but now it's now it's physical, and it maybe is why it still lives in the minds of so many wrestling fans today.
2: Yeah, and they, and, and they got to they got to experience it, and they got to choose sides. Yeah, Which, again, it gave it gave them you know t- more sides to choose now, and probably in its own way,
1: really contributed because you know it's jokingly you know right before we started this podcast you held up a book. Called um, "The Art of War" by Sun Tzu, one of my favorite books. I read it about once every two or three years just to refresh my memory. And uh, this is this is the real war and that physical manifestation, a confrontation, a screw job, call whatever you want to call it, really did give fans even more of an opportunity to to commit and pick a side, and I think contributed to the success of the Monday Night Wars.
2: And behind the scenes, from our vantage point, we had had our ass handed to us. We were continuing to still have our ass handed to us in television ratings. And that was the one measuring stick that everybody could look to on a weekly basis to see who was doing better than whom. So for us, who had always been the leader, to be the second program was... Man, that that was hard to swallow. So from our vantage point, it's everything that WCW was doing that affected our business. That every, Every maneuver was war. Every maneuver was another strike, was another Scud missile to our detriment. So whenever someone would go to WCW, whether they had been released or not, it was a slap in the face. To have Brett you don't want to go when Brett wanted to go at that time. Um, There was just so many different things happening that we were fighting for placement, if you will. And
1: before we get on the timeline, Bruce, what was, I mean, I only got to work with Vince directly for three or four months back in 2019. And in that very brief period of time that I often refer to is a cup of coffee. um, I got a little bit of a glimpse into Vince's personality, just a bit. You know, didn't really get to know him. But what was he like during this period of time? I mean, what what was his mood on a day-to-day basis, if you can remember?
2: The main focus, look, Vince is a fighter, period. Vince is a fighter, and he's not going to stop until he wins. Uh, that's just the guy that I've known since 1987. And when all of these things are coming at him and you're looking at staying in business. And this is long before we were a publicly traded company. You're looking at staying in business, every penny, you know, you're counting every penny. And I know you had a budget as well. However, the perception was was you had a billionaire's checkbook that you could write any check you wanted to anybody at any time. And that there was no budget. There was no limit to the resources of the Turner organization. Well, we were a privately held company, and the one guy who was writing the checks was looking at that balance sheet every day. So um, it was competitive. It was aggressive. And I think every move that we made was analyzed with a, with a lot of caution. I mean, like
1: when you came to work and you sent out the vets, I mean, was he crabby generally? Was he fucking let's fight, was he frame of mind? What was his frame of mind
2: like? Vince's frame of mind was let's fight and let's beat these assholes.
1: And how, you know, you talk about the, and by the way, thank you for noting that it was perception that I had access to a billionaire's checkbook, because that certainly wasn't the reality. But with regard to WWE, now, again, this is me revealing what I don't know, but Linda was still very much a part of WWE at the time. Was was she over finances? I mean, who who was in control of the finances, Vince or Linda, or both?
2: Both. Both in many ways. I would say Linda was more in charge of the day-to-day operations of the, the business end of things. Vince was in charge of creative. But Vince oversaw the entire operation. So there wasn't anything that, that Vince didn't know in the company, and he kept Close tabs on everything, but more so to the creative side of things. Did you did you
1: interface with Linda much during this period of time, or strictly Vince?
2: Not really, mainly mainly Vince. Okay. Was yeah yeah, and, and you know the thing is is I think as we as we get into this, that's why I said the perceived uh, open checkbook and in, in a billionaire, and just I, I always like to tell people that will say, oh, well, hey, gosh, you got all this money and doing all these things. You don't become a billionaire by making bad business deals. You don't become a billionaire by paying everybody else billions of dollars. You do it because you're a smart businessman and you're able to make decisions that make you and everybody else around you more money. But yeah, I always did uh, love the idea that well, you just – and by the way, you had signing power on that checkbook, I'm told. You didn't even have to get approval. You had Ted's – you were a, a signature on Ted's personal checkbook. <laughs> do, I heard- do, do you think I'd be sitting here
1: talking to you right now if that were true? <laughs> I'd have I didn't say idea. you got away with it. I'm just saying yeah had it. I, I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be on a beach somewhere throwing coconuts at tourists. Ah, get off my property.
0: You know, right now, especially with the time of the year and the economy like it is, it's probably time to start thinking about making some more calculated financial decisions that might benefit you later. And if you're just getting started on your financial journey, it's important to set yourself up for success. And if you've got a high credit score, you may have more power than you think. Now's the time to leverage that score to consolidate your debt before the interest rates get too high. Pay off your credit cards faster with a low fixed rate loan from Lightstream. A credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream can help you pay off your credit cards and lock in a low fixed interest rate. Rates start at just 6.99% APR with AutoPay and Excellent Credit. Plus, the rate is fixed, so it will never go up over the life of the loan. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and there are absolutely no fees. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience and that's exactly what they deliver and just for my listeners apply now and get a special interest rate discount and save even more the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle that's l-i-g-h-t-s-t-r-e-a-m.com slash wrestle this is subject to credit approval rates range from 6.99% apr to 19.99% apr and includes a half a percent auto pay discount the lowest rate requires excellent credit terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice visit lightstream.com wrestle for more information afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls how to refine your mental models
1: and how to think about Yeah, I thought. Well, today I'd be throwing snowballs there, man. It's cold as shit here. It's like ten degrees. I got about three inches of snow on the ground.
2: Oh man, the holiday season! It's a beautiful, it, it, it's know, a beautiful se- fall day in Connecticut. Uh-huh. It's a beautiful fall day. Sixty degrees. The leaves are uh, turning. It's absolutely gorgeous. Couldn't think of any other place to be other than pretty much any place else. But
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: it is gorgeous here today.
1: I do, miss, I, I, I do miss the East Coast in the fall, but only during the fall. All right, let's dig in here. September 22nd, 1997. Right, this is going to hurt, brother, because, you know, you and I both feel the same way about Dave Meltzer and the garbage that he prints, and it's really hard for me to listen to. It's even more difficult for me to read, so bear with me. But on September 22nd, 1997, on the day of the raw taping at Madison Square Garden, according to... Dave, McMahon told Bret Hart flat out that they were going to intentionally breach his contract because they couldn't afford the deal. Here's what I got a problem with. Now, I've got a question for you. But on the face of that statement, it kind of doesn't make sense. Because if you tell somebody you're going to breach their contract, then you're subject to legal action. You know, if you're going to want to try to get out of the contract, the last thing I think you would do is give somebody a heads up. But is,
2: is, this, any, is this remotely true? So what did take place is Vince told Brett that he couldn't afford him. Said that, uh, you know, Brett. And there was also, you also have to go back a little bit as well, that when Brett initially came to us and there was the indecision as to where brett would go whether he'd go to wcw or wwf at the time and brett was kind of weighing the options we didn't know where brett was going to go and he chose us but he chose us and we were still faced with well hey I took less money up front, even though WCW would offer me $3 million a year. Um, And it was always that undercurrent. of I could have made a lot more if I'd gone to WCW. So Vince, out of, and and Vince really did feel this way. He was like, you know what? This isn't a good deal for us. And I feel like Brett would be happier making more money Elsewhere, And if we can facilitate that, maybe he goes to WCW and makes a ton of money for three years. He comes back and, you know, he can finish his career here. So Vince was kind of looking at it from the standpoint of, it's hurting us to pay him this much money. He has made the comment that he would be making more elsewhere. What if we could get him more money elsewhere? What if we created a situation where WCW could pull one over on us and, and, wow, we stole Bret Hart from you and and give Bret that ammunition to go back to WCW and say, hey, uh, they're telling me that I, I can get out of my contract. And the hope was that WCW would offer him money that he would be happy with, and he could go and do that and, again, come back after his time is up there. But that was the thing. Yeah, it's it was not a good deal for us at the time. And Vince was looking to get out of it, but he wanted to make sure that Brett was taken care of in the interim.
1: And and I get that, but why then? If that, And I understand that. And, again, I don't want to suggest that I, I got a chance to know Vince on a personal level. But it, my impression is that he's a pretty fair guy if you deal with him straight up and communicate what, why would, again, I'm asking you to comment on this statement that McMahon went to Brett and said, we're going to breach your contract. It
2: doesn't I don't sound- think he would say that.
1: Hey, 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 Brett, we really can't afford you. Let's work something out and make this work for you. That's one conversation. Hey, Brett, I'm going to breach your contract because I can't afford you. Is it an adversarial one?
2: Right. No, any- it was more, it was more the, the first that, Hey, this isn't working for us. We'd like to help you out. We'd like to help get you a better deal there. And um, unfortunately, we we can't we can't continue to honor this contract. But I can't imagine Vince going in and saying, "Hey, I'm going to breach your contract."
1: No, man. That's
2: who would say that
1: <laughs> exactly. And that's again, I'm I'm probably going to have more fun shredding Meltzer here than I am trying to learn about what what, what really happened, but. That's, a, that's the kind of statement that just sets, sets my ass on fire. Now, one of the other things that, that Meltzer went on to say is that Bret Hart had, as Meltzer put it, an escape clause built into his contract since he had so much negotiating leverage when making his WWE deal 11 months earlier so that he could leave the company any time after giving 30 days notice. And he would have with a contract called Reasonable Creative Control of his character during that lame duck period so that he couldn't be unreasonably buried on the way out. God, I hate reading this guy's shit. I really do.
2: Any truth to that? There was, there was a clause in, in Brett's contract that he would have, uh, input. Re, I think it was reasonable input.
1: Yeah. Uh, we use the, we, we the term meaningful consultation.
2: Yeah. And it was, it was some kind of legalese like that, but I, I remember vehemently Vince being against ever because, again, the perception was that uh, you were handing out creative control left and right um, Mm -hmm. on contracts in WCW and that, you know, everybody had creative control. And Vince just never understood that and wouldn't, especially at that time, you know, offer something like that. But he did offer up. There was a clause in there that Brett had – input reasonable you know that he could have input into the last 30 days and but at the same time it was sure of course you have input um
1: but guys have that anyway that's a thing you know yeah we called it meaningful consultation and a lot of the the guys that got that and there was only a handful maybe three or four Hulk Hogan had creative control it was not ambiguous there was no gray area it was creative control he could say yes he could say no um, everybody else got something that we called meaningful consultation, which is the same thing as reasonable creative control, meaning, yeah, we'll sit down and talk. I'm still going
2: to make the final decision, but we'll talk. And that, was, and that was the theme of the language in Brett's contract. And here's the, here's
1: the part that I like to dig into a little bit. Almost all the talent has that, right? Right. I mean, who? and I'm not asking you to comment on on the current situation, but how many of of the top third of talent that we we normally see on pay-per-views over the last 20 years, how many of them didn't have the ability to sit outside Vince's office 20 minutes before a show and say, I kind of want to talk about this?
2: Every single one of them had that opportunity.
1: Every single book. So the idea that a couple of people, including in this case Brett, had reasonable creative control, or in my case at WCW, meaningful consultation, is just putting into writing what they already had. It's not that big a deal, and they just make it sound like it was a big deal.
2: Right, and it may. I think it made Brett feel a little more comfortable, but I also think that in putting that in, which had never been put in before to anybody. It was Bret Hart. We never thought that that would even be – it's like this will never come into effect for any reason whatsoever. It's Brett.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, like I say, it's something that everybody enjoyed anyway. Now, according to uh, – what's his name? On this very same day, uh, Michael's walked in. Uh, September uh, – where were we again? We were September-, September 22nd. Medicine Square Garden. Apparently, uh, Shawn Michaels walks in and advises uh, everybody that he's not doing any more jobs for anybody.
2: Is that true? I didn't hear that, no. No. And, and again, <laughs> look, man, do do I see Sean going up to Brett? Um the day of or that week leading up to it and saying, I wouldn't have done the same. Absolutely. I could see Sean doing that. 100% I could see Sean doing that. But uh, whether or not Sean would have gone in with Vince and everybody and made a comment like that, that I really don't see.
1: What was the relationship between McMahon and Michaels at this time? Was it, was it? I mean, it was good. Oh, it was good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was good.
1: Sean went through periods like a lot of guys did. They were young coming up in the business. He had issues. Um, but he, he was on solid ground at this point. No he
2: Not really. No, I think there was always an understanding. And uh, I think that, you know, they were in a good place.
1: Cool. All right. I'm going to try reading this to see if oh boy, or any of this. So at this meeting, according to uh, what's his name, McMahon posed, proposed a scenario where the two would have their first singles match in Montreal, where Undertaker, would interfere causing a non-finish. This would lead to Hart wrestling Undertaker on the December 7th pay-per-view in Springfield, where Michaels would interfere, causing Hart to lose the title. And as poetic justice, since this, since his interference caused Brent to win the title in the first place, and at that Royal Rumble on January 18th in San Jose would be headlined by Undertaker versus Michaels. During the meeting, Hart told Michaels that he'd be happy to put him over at the end of the run but Michael's told Hart flat out that he wouldn't return the favor to him. Sound familiar?
2: I've I've heard that before. You know, here's here's the thing about uh, this and saying all this happened on September 22nd. We didn't, other than saying, "Hey, Brett, we can't afford you go back and get another deal." It still wasn't done yet. So it wasn't, you know, Brett could have come back and and said, "No, I want to just keep doing this," and really, our hands would have been tied. And or Brett could go back to WCW and say, hey, I'd like more money. So I don't think that we had everything laid out that far in advance. Other th- The only thing that we really pretty much knew at this point was that Steve Austin was our guy that we wanted to crown at the next WrestleMania. That we knew. How we were going to get there, whether it was Shawn, whether it was Brett, who, you know, shit. Brett, Brett was a hell of a uh heel in the States at the time. So he was revered in Canada and a Canadian hero. So to have that much and to even discuss that with Brett, knowing that he could be leaving, I, I don't think that they were there yet. I I don't I don't remember really being there yet. How 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 close do you
1: how close were you to this situation between Brett and Vince? Did Vince confide it to you? I mean, were, were you right there in the thick of things or were you hearing things from the sidelines?
2: No, I was kind of right there in the thick of things, Did especially do- on the Vince side. It, 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 at this time, um, I was in talent relations. So it was, I, I was kind of right in the thick of everything and I was still doing creative.
1: Did you personally think that Brett would ever really leave?
2: I hoped he wouldn't. I I really did. I I hoped Brett wouldn't, but at the same time, looking at the finances, you know, here here's a crazy. I never I never talk numbers, but uh, I'll give you the analogy. When we first started, probably the year before, doing downside guarantees, and we looked at what everyone had. I think that the total budget, the entire budget for everyone on the rosters was $9 million a year. Nine?
1: Nine. Go ahead. I I want to spend a minute on that. So $9 million was your downside guarantee driving your entire business?
2: That was the budget I had to do downside guarantees, yes.
1: And and I'm not going to put you in the spot. I have too much respect and love for you to do that. But I'm assuming that was, I'm just going to pull a number out of thin air, maybe 30% of the total payout for talent. 50%, 20%. Fifty percent, twenty percent. What do I mean? Obviously, the guys made more than that. They made more than their downside. Or some
2: oh pay. yes, yeah. That was that was an average from the previous year's talent pay. So total we took total. We took that and we used that is is the budget to do the downside guarantees. Trying now, obviously, trying to come in under budget. Sure. Um, so you had room, but. It was, when you look at it like that, that was like, holy shit. Um, especially when deals had already started to be made before you even got involved in it. That it was like, well, wait a minute. You promised this guy 300 grand? And the, those things started getting out and talent was like, oh, wait a minute. This guy's making this. And a lot of it was rumor and innuendo, but some of it was was factual.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, the rumor in the innuendo has as much of an adverse impact, sometimes more, than the actual facts. Because yeah, that so, just distorts reality and, and emotions, and things get out of control.
2: Yes, if- and, and, and looking at Brett, looking at, at the top talent and how it all played out, we could have by doing the deal with Brett, kind of threw that budget way over. Um, and you just have to work with it. You know, you, you've got to make it work. And I think Vince finally looked at it and said, I, I can't make this work. We've, we've got to stay in business and we've got to use those resources for other things. And that's how that decision was made. But no, no one thought Brett would leave, really.
1: Were there any – what was it, what was the relationship between Brett and Sean at that point in time? Thinking along? Not
2: Not really. No, I, I think that um, that they had already pretty much reached the point of, okay, we'll work together, and those guys could dance better than anybody in the ring. They they were true professionals in the ring, but outside of the ring, there was no love lost. And it's a shame because they, they were friends before, and just whatever, they'd worked themselves into a shoot. Hmm.
1: October 24th, 1997, according to What's-His-Name, McMahon, before the show at Nassau Coliseum, came up to Hart and said, Hey, Brett, forget all that stuff I talked to you about, man. We're good. We've got the money. We're going to have no problems paying you. Everything we promised you in your contract. True or false?
2: I don't remember that, no. Because at this time, we had already you know, told Brett, go out and get your best deal. And, and I think the- that there was
1: told mcmahon that uh, wcw didn't really make him a serious offer and he didn't really want to leave he was still comfortable doing the job for michaels in that situation and according to what's his name he left the country for a tour of bahrain and oman <clears throat> he being brett pronouns pal i learned that i learned that yeah. Brett left the country for the tour of bahrain and oman with the idea that he brett was going to stay with wwe but not knowing due to the window in his contract, he had to make that decision and give notice by midnight on November 11th, or excuse me, November 1st.
2: Does that sound familiar? I really don't. I really don't know on the dates, but I think that most people were thinking that Brett was going, that Brett was going to leave. The feeling was, and the feeling was that he pretty much already had an offer from you guys and that he was, he was gone.
1: Are you surprised that while Brett was, I mean, because clearly Brett was negotiating with me in WCW. Um, are you surprised Vince didn't take the belt off of him? The title. I'm sorry. The championship title. Sorry. Uh,
2: no, because I, I think that we all thought Brett would be, be the, the last guy <laughs> uh, that would say, no, I don't want to, I don't want to lose tonight. I think there was really never, much thought given to Brett doing the right thing on the way out.
1: I'm jumping the gun here, but this is one, I just, this is just personal, right? By 1997, Jerry McDivitt was kicking WC Turner's ass legally. The lawsuit was well underway. WCW had Basically, I, I'll tell you from my end, I was I was given notice from Turner Legal, not WCW, not Harvey Schiller, who was my boss, Turner Sports. Turner Legal said no reference, any way, shape, form, implied or otherwise to WWE or any of their intellectual property. So I by this point I had handcuffs on me. I would think that Vince and Jerry knew that. Why was why do you think Vince was so concerned? Did you think I was that crazy that I would just go fuck it? I don't care what the attorneys say. I'm going to do it anyway, and 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 trash the title the way we did with Medusa. I mean, what what was the concern knowing that you guys had been kicking our ass legally over trademark issues?
2: Well, because you'd done it before. Why wouldn't you do it again? Well, we did. Um,
1: We did it before. I got my ass kicked by McDavid.
2: Most people do, (laughs) you know the the there was still just the the thought and the perception of whether, whether you brought it up or not, but for Brett to walk out with the championship. Yeah, sure. You don't have to acknowledge it or say our name or anything else, but just by that picture being in a WCW ring would have been detrimental.
1: The other note here, I have, this isn't a question for you, but I just got to put it out there because it's just typically stupid according to what's-his-name, never one to work without a flair for dramatics. And Bischoff finally caught up with Hart, who was basically incommunicado in a foreign land. What the fuck
2: did I do that? Because you have a flair for the dramatic. <laughs> Didn't you read it? Didn't you read what it just said?
1: Oh, that's so funny. And according, according to this, um, my phone call to when I found Brett in Communicado in Bahrain, because I have so many contacts there, that phone call changed everything. I don't think I made that phone call. But if I did make that phone call, did it
2: change everything? Well, apparently, you, you tell me. When, when, you were you to, when,
1: were, when were you told about whatever offer I supposedly made to Brett?
2: Uh... Obviously, before you know, before Survivor and uh, time frame, probably yeah, end of October, beginning of November, that he was that he was gone, and he had accepted uh, the WCW offer, and we had heard the number of three million a year,
1: according to what's his name on uh, November first, nineteen ninety seven. Hart had until midnight to make up his mind. He called McMahon and told him about the WCW offer and said that he said that he, Brett, wasn't going to ask for any more money to stay. He was happy with the offer that he already had, or the deal that he already had, but he just wanted to know what his future in WWE would be over the next two years as an active wrestler. And then at this point, he was leaning towards accepting WCW. Did I share that with you?
2: Yes. And at that point we took that as Brett was gone. There was no, from our vantage point, there there was no, there was no walking that back.
1: Yeah. But he didn't, he didn't say, look, I, I mean, I, again, I'm not taking a position here, right. I'm, Cause I'm basically reading what this idiot wrote, but if Brett said, Hey, WCW made an offer. I don't really want to go because I feel at home here and, according to some of the comments that allegedly Brett made earlier, you know, I, I know the prison and the prison guards, and I've got the best cell in the house, so why should I go to a different prison where I don't know the cell or any of the other prisoners? So he was willing to stick around. He just wanted to know what his role was going to be.
2: But I'm not sure Brett was willing to stick around at, at, at the price that we were willing to pay. So, yes, I do. I believe 100% that Brett didn't want to go anywhere. I do As too. Without a doubt, I don't think that Brett wanted to go anywhere. However, I do think that Brett felt that if there's an opportunity to make more money than he had ever made in his career, then why hold him back? And I think Vince was feeling that as many times as that got brought up, that Brett was looking for more money, and he just couldn't match it. So he took the position of, Brett, go make your money.
1: And I and I will tell you, Bruce, and I don't, you know, I'm already sideways with Brett. I guess I don't really care, but I don't want to make it any worse than it already is. But I, I will tell you, in all the conversations I had with Brett, I could tell he didn't want to leave. It, it, it was just, you know, when he talked about Vince, and you know how talent can sometimes be. Like if somebody's, you know, leaving WWE and coming over to talk to me, it's usually, you know, fucking Vince does this and Pritchard did this and Jerry Briscoe sucks. And, you know, they start burying everybody thinking that's what I want to hear. Right. And Brett didn't do that. You know, Brett was frustrated. This was my impression. Brett was frustrated creatively. He had concerns about WWE in, in terms of, yeah, you know, what was going on financially. He just had concerns. And, I didn't get the impression that he was excited to leave, man. When he talked about Vince, it was a little bit like he was talking about his dad, even though he was mad at his dad. You know what I mean? He's, there was there was a lot of love there still,
2: to be honest. Yeah, and, and there was, and and look, um, I, I've always gotten along with Brett. I like Brett, and I think that he was. It's you have to learn to I think with Vince is don't don't try and call his bluff or don't try and if, if you're going to throw something out there nine times out of 10, he's going to throw it back on you. So if you go in and say, oh, ah, gosh, um, I could be making a lot more money over here. But, yeah, I really want to stay here. it's like By bringing that up in Vince's head, you want to go. You want more money. And if they're giving it to you over there, I can't give it to you here. Let me help you go get that. And that's and just the way that his mind works.
1: And accordingly, you know, according to what what's his name wrote, you know, that's exactly what happened. Brett, you know, called him, called Vince, let him know what the offer was, or let him know that he had the offer. And McMahon had called Brett and said, no, man, take that offer. And, 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 but at the same time, McMahon told Hart that he wanted him back as a babyface and he'd been wanting to turn a babyface for two or three months, but just hadn't brought it up until that point. It sounds kind of convenient to me. I don't know. It's like the guy's leaving. Now you're going to tell him you want to turn a babyface, which is probably music that Brett's ears at that point. That just seems weird to me.
0: Dynasties know that every player counts. To build a championship team with a deep bench, you need Indeed indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract interview and hire all in one place don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with indeed find top talent fast with indeed suite of powerful hiring tools like indeed instant match assessments and virtual interviews hate waiting indeed's u.s data shows over 80 percent of indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on indeed matches their job description. The moment they sponsor a job I've been using indeed for over a decade, but my favorite new feature just learned about this screenings and assessments indeed helps star applicants shine before the interview How? Well, with over 135 graded assessment tests that they can take, and I mean, from everything from cooking to coding indeed helps you see your top talents, abilities in a flash by adding any of the 135 graded assessment tests to your job posts. You'll select the skills that matter. And with Indeed Assessments, you can pick from over 100 skill tests and then add them to your job post, that's it. Indeed Assessments even give you a window into how the candidates will be on the test. On average, applicants who scored proficient plus on the reliability assessment were nearly eight times more likely to consistently attend work. So what are you waiting for? Join over 3 million businesses worldwide, including mine, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Visit Indeed.com wrestle to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com wrestle. That's indeed.com slash wrestle terms and conditions apply.
2: Yeah. And frankly, Brett was so hot at the time, they, you know, it was, he was hot is, is, is a heel there and in different parts. So it's, um, I don't know. I just, from my perspective and from the perspective being there with Vince Vince didn't want to hold Brett back. And I think Vince had so much love and respect for Brett that he didn't want Brett to stay and then resent not taking that deal. If that makes any sense. It's like, yeah, he he stays with WWE and then every time he turns around and something doesn't go right, it's like, fuck, I could have been making $3 million at WCW. Oh, so
1: I don't think it was 3 million
2: but whatever. Okay, 4 or 5, whatever it was. <laughs> it was. I think it was 3 million and then a $8 million bonus or something like that.
1: So how do what was the, so now Vince has obviously made up his mind. You're right there with Vince, you're in the loop. You know he's going. When did you guys start figuring out or trying to figure out how to get it done? And what what were the options on the table?
2: Well, the really the only option on the table was to go to Sean at that point. We needed it to go to a heel, and we wanted to start pretty much at uh, Rumble that year. So you go from Survivor Series, your major pay-per-view, to the Royal Rumble in January, and that's your WrestleMania story. So that's where we were going. Um, We needed it on a heel. We didn't have time to do a bunch of back-and-forth shit. So it was Sean. We knew from our vantage point we we needed to get that on Sean. What better place to do it than at Survivor Series in Montreal? So it was the most logical time to do it. We had a good story going with those two, and it just simply made the most sense right there.
1: Did Brett have ideas? Did he come to you with ideas for how he thought it would be best to get the title off of him?
2: No, uh, not until, you know, nobody really did until probably the week before. And the week before was um, an incredible negotiation, just back and forth and back and forth and forth and back. Uh, I unfortunately had to witness a lot of those calls. And it always came back to, I, you know, I don't know if uh, I, I should lose the title. And it's like, well, Brett, you know, we we have to. Okay, well, let's figure out a way to do it. And every time that we would try to, we would suggest something, he would suggest something, and he wouldn't like our suggestion, we wouldn't like his suggestion, and it went back and forth and back and forth, literally for a week. And we got there and kind of had made the agreement that, okay, we'll figure it out that day, but we got to get the title off of it. And Brett came in that day and was just—he didn't want to lose the title.
1: Why do you think that is? What? what I mean, yeah. I, I have a—I have a hard time with that. Just, I guess, the way I was brought up in the business. I, I mean, I, I understand it emotionally. It's tough, you know. You, you're that guy. You're the—you're you're the champion. You're the—you're the most important talent on the roster in some respects. Um, and I understand it's hard to walk away from that, but. Under these circumstances, given how, what I've always understood, Brett, to be a very solid, traditional professional in in professional wrestling, why would it be so hard for Brett just to lose the title? That's business.
2: I think it was a number of things. I think, first of all, it was losing the title and for Brett's legacy – To be able to go out as the champion was something that, in his mind, why can't I just show up on Raw the next night and uh, give you the title back?
1: Because because it makes the company look like shit. Right. That's
2: exactly why. And because the normal, you know, when you are a champion, the number one thing that you have to think of is, okay, I got to lose it sometime. So (laughs) at that point, you're not going to, I don't think that anybody goes into it and goes, I'm going to be the champion. I'm just going to retire with the belt. That's not what you do. You need to pay it forward and you need to get somebody else ready for that spot and make them on the way out. Brett wasn't going to say, and you know, we got there that day and leading up to it really hadn't come to a, a final decision, and you'll hear everybody under the sun take credit for the the screw job and the finish from, you know, Jim Cornette to Vince Russo to Sean and Hunter. Look, the bottom line is we all made that suggestion. I don't know of anybody that didn't <laughs> make that suggestion. Say, well, uh, done it before, just take it from him. Now, not take it from him as in have Sean go in there and shoot on him because that wasn't going to happen. But there were other ways to do it, you know, from a fast count to what they actually did. But that didn't even present itself until the day of while Brett was going over while they were putting the match together. And when they were putting the match together and uh, – they heard the spot with the sharpshooter was like, "Oh my God, that's it! That's a vulnerable position, and, and that's the spot to do it." Um, but you know, hell, like I didn't even know that night what the what the hell was going on. But the 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 fact is, is that we went in to that day thinking we'll come up with something. We'll we'll get. We'll, We'll figure this out. Cooler heads will prevail day of.
1: Now, again, according to Meltzer, Brett agreed to put Michaels over in Madison Square Garden on November 15th, Springfield, anywhere else. He said he put over Vader, Shamrock, Mankind, Undertaker, or even Steve Lombardi, who apparently earned a title shot at Madison Square Garden by winning a battle royal at the last show. Was there? I mean, why not? If if Brett's issue is I don't want to lose in Canada because that's what I remember hearing. Like, I don't mind losing the belt. I just don't want to lose in Canada because I'm a Canadian hero. Um, whatever. No comment. But if if Brett was holding the line in Canada, why not put it on Michael's Madison Square Madison Square not on November 15th or Springfield or put it on Vader, Shamrock, Mankind, or anybody else? Except for Lombardi. That would be weird.
2: Well, look. I was on those phone calls and I don't remember those suggestions being made. Maybe they did. Maybe they were made in other uh, conversations in conversations that I was privy to where it was specifically about what to do in Montreal. Then if, if you're wanting to do it, Madison Square Garden or elsewhere, somebody else, bring it up then when we're talking about getting the title off of you in Montreal. You know, you see what I'm saying? I'm not saying didn't have those conversations at other times, but leading up to Montreal, uh, you know, the week and the two weeks before we were trying to get something laid out. um, I I think most people came, came to us with those suggestions after the fact, well, you could have done this. Well, you could have done that. Right. Why didn't you do this? Well, the fact of the matter is, is because we had a major pay per view with a major storyline in, in which that was the biggest platform to do the switch. That was the priority, right?
1: That was the priority, and apparently, at this point, you know, Brett was getting a little rigid and determined to not lose in Montreal. Made these suggestions of doing it elsewhere. Vince apparently, allegedly, started making legal threats to her if he didn't lose in Mo- Montreal. At this point, Brett talked about the clause in his contract giving him, I love this, reasonable creative control. And this part, I believe. And, and at this point, uh, McMahon claimed that refusing to drop the title in Montreal wasn't reasonable. True that.
2: <laughs> True that. Exactly. That, that's, you know That's the point. Is it reasonable? No, that's not reasonable. You win. Both sides don't win in that one. And, you know, it... uh, But you were telling him not to do that. You were probably...
1: I didn't give a fuck. I didn't... I I remember Brett calling me and he was all twisted up. Not twisted up, but he was was agitated and, and upset. And I said, Brett, it doesn't matter to me. Do, do what you need to do to take care of business. Because I wouldn't have I, – look, I, I'll take advantage of opportunities. I'll even create a few if I can find them. But I'm not going to – I wouldn't go so far as to suggest Brett hold on to that title and bring it to Nitro. I know that's a fantasy in some people's minds and a perception that had become a reality evidently. But uh, it was nothing was further from the truth. There was no pressure by me. In fact, the only pressure on me was for because I believed that if Brett just did the right thing, the audience wasn't going to go, "Oh, Brett, he's coming to WCW," but damn, he lost to Shawn Michaels. I, know, I understand that that means more to the talent, and particularly Brett in this case, right, because he's got this thing with Canada, being a Canadian hero, and that's important to him. And I don't mean to make light of it, but it, I, it's its a foreign concept to me. Um, but it didn't matter to me. It's what's really odd about this whole situation and all the, the stress that it created. Maybe it was a good thing in the long run with me, whatever, but zero pressure on From my side, I was willing to be as flexible and cooperative as necessary, just to get the deal over with and done, so we could move on.
2: Right, but I think that at the same time that it had happened with you know with Medusa and throwing the belt in the trash, so we're we're thinking anything—the perception—it's bad enough that our former champion is going to show up on your show anyway. Right, when the time comes, we made it happen. (laughs) So we got nobody to thank but ourselves <clears throat> for that one. But we did want the championship on there as well. And that was the, the sticking point. Nor for Brett to go on and, and say that, hey, I never got beat. I forfeited the championship. I retired with it. Um, no, we needed we needed that win over Brett. Now, did it help him to go around and say I got screwed? Sure, I think it did. I think even in the way that we did it, that probably enhanced Brett, gave him something nice.
1: It made him a sympathetic baby face, too. Right.
2: So, you know, to that, you can talk about, yeah, well, Brett got screwed. Um, To us, we never mentioned it again, you know, other than the one time, you know, Vince addressed it, and you move on. So we were able to move on from it. I think Brett, you know, kind of held on to it for a long, long time. I think, I think Brett's good with it now, but holy cow. Uh, Before that. And when you go back and during the time and revisionist history and, and what have you is that you were the evil son of a bitch pulling the strings the entire time by going in and offering Brett all this money and offering him all of these things, then we, it's just you were evil. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of trust there. There wasn't a lot of faith there that you guys wouldn't do that. You know what I mean?
1: Well, and, and, and ironically, and again, this is according to Meltzer. I don't know if this is even true or not, but it makes me look good. So I'm going to pretend it is what well, doesn't make me look good. It just makes me look less evil, which apparently is important because that perception probably still exists out there somewhere. But supposedly, Brett's WCW contract was to begin on twelve one. So, according to this, Hart called me, who was then presented the scenario, and I agreed to allow him to work through December eighth with Titan. And 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 Brett asked me to keep it quiet, did you, and I did keep it quiet. I, I I didn't go out and say anything until after Brett. Took care of his business. Did anybody realize that on November third, we both had live TV shows. We're two days removed from the deal being done, and I didn't even say anything. I, 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 I I could have, but I didn't. Did anybody realize that?
2: Yeah, I mean, and but at the same time, by you doing that, I think had had you mentioned it, I think that just would have had more interest, put more interest in WCW. You're smart not to bring that up.
1: You guys are kind of busy having Jim Cornette make fun of Halloween Havoc and Age in the Cage and all that. I'm just saying, just throwing that out there. It's the holiday season. No, it's November. Speaking of November, the holiday season. All right, Conrad. <laughs> I'll be giving thanks to our friends over at Manscaped. Everyone loves turkey and stuffing, but you'll be looking like Turkey Manscaped have blessed you with the ultimate Thanksgiving dinner topping. Tell your in-laws about your new cutting-edge ball trimmer and gift yourself or the man in your life the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Trim your pumpkins and save 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com forward slash You Save 20% off plus free shipping. Are going to manscades.com forward slash W and be thankful this holiday season for the best of all from Man's Your balls will thank
2: So, I got a question for you. Yes. Because Conrad always says that your balls hit the toilet whenever we do that.
1: It depends where I'm at. You know, like, not usually in a public toilet because typically the water levels, you know, they try to control the water flow and how much water they use in public toilets, so not so much. But generally, if I go to a private home and there's not a lot of um, control over the water pressure and how much water is in a tank, then it, yeah, it occasionally happens. It's fucking cold and sometimes deep.
2: Okay. Wow. <laughs> Just curious. Yeah.
1: People, people curious minds need to know. November 5th, 1997, the Internet paved the way for stories in the Calgary Sun, to Toronto Sun, and online in the Montreal Gazette in a pay-per-view story about Steve Austin line, which resulted in the paper getting an incredible switchboard, blowing response of phone calls. The man called Hart and said that Michaels had agreed to the previous day's scenario, but now he changed his mind. He said the news was out everywhere, and Brett had to drop the belt before Monday because he couldn't have Bischoff go on television on November 10th and announce the signing of his world champion why he still had the belt. Oh, I don't know. Hart said that Bischoff would, Hart told uh, Vince that he would get Bischoff to postpone the announcement, but apparently I was on a hunting trip all week in Wyoming, which is probably true in November. Hart couldn't get a hold of me. Probably also true. McMahon then asked Hart to drop the title on November 8th at a house show in Detroit. Does that sound right?
2: No. See, I wonder where Dave gets all this from. Well, again, these are what if and why didn't they? No, these are facts. This is somebody
1: giving Dave information that isn't accurate.
2: Well, they're giving him information to basically fit their narrative versus our narrative was pretty simple. We had a major event coming up in which we wanted to switch the title at the pay-per-view. All right. Not do it in a live event.
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to skip over some of the stuff because it's kind of beating a dead horse. We're going to go to November 7th. It's like almost – how many years ago? I can't do the math right now. It's a lot of years. 25, something like that. Yeah. Yep. 25 years ago. Wow, I'm better at math than I thought. The WWF's own online, online site, said to be the domain of young kids with no clue about wrestling, was besieged with reports about heart leaving. And the so-called Marx were reacting very negatively towards Titan. To the point, Titan pulled all of its folders by early afternoon, which caused another outcry of censorship of opinions from wrestling fans. How undemocratic, man. Well,
2: so I'd, I'd, I'd love to comment on that, see, because I, I always am amazed when someone will say, you know, oh, my God, look at my Twitter. It's blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> and this represents, you know, th- 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 this is what the audience is saying. And you look at it. It's like. You got 900 responses. 900. <laughs> wow. Let's call it a thousand. In the infancy of the Internet. And maybe a couple of hundred people, uh, come on, man, really? I, I just think that when you put it all in perspective, that it it, it amazes me just sometimes when people will talk about things blowing up and you actually look at the real numbers and go, oh, yeah, there's a uh, hundred people commented on this. I'm sorry. I want to talk to the two million people that are watching on TV or what have you.
1: Oh, so, no. come on. That's I don't know how you I don't know how you can have that opinion, man. If you're not if you're not working for the internet, I don't in social media. I don't I don't know how you I don't know how you survive.
2: Well, I, again, you have to you have to look at all of it though. You have to look at the especially you go back to 1997 and give a shit what the internet had to say. Not everybody really was invested in it. They didn't really live and die by the Internet. Your television audience was what you lived and died by. Your live events are what you lived and died by. Business, actual true business metrics that matter, that can be applied to the bottom line, are what mattered then and what matters now. So, But evidently,
1: this online stuff struck a nerve because apparently... Vince responded publicly with an online letter of his own stating over the past few days, I have heard certain comments on the internet regarding Bret Hart and his alleged, in quotes, reasons for wanting to pursue other avenues other than World Wrestling Federation to earn his livelihood. I'm not going to read the whole thing word for word, but essentially uh, it implies that Bret's concern has a lot to do with the character, the direction, I think is the word that Vince used a lot, uh, a World Wrestling Federation because you guys were. I mean, you by 1997, you went from you know teen and preteen cartoonish type wrestling to a more aggressive reality based and and sexualized format. I mean, it, it is what it is. It was what it was, and it worked great until so it didn't. But it must have bothered Vince enough for him to publish this letter, right?
2: Yeah, I think that in general it did, and I think in general, because also Brett was also in other, whether it was newspaper articles or what have you, would share this. Well, you know, they've gone a lot edgier and people showing their asses being Sean Mooney people and things like that. And, yes, we had gone a lot edgier. But to use that in a public forum as a reason to go when – well, uh, you said you wanted to stay, but it didn't need to be done, is my point. Didn't need to be done on either side, frankly. Do you think, Bruce,
1: if if Brett would have not expressed some of those opinions? And I don't think look, I don't think Brett was trying to bury WWF. I think Brett was trying to cover his own ass to try to explain. Because deep down inside, he didn't want to leave. So I think he probably felt like he had to explain to his fan base um, why. But do you think if Brett would have just not talked until after he was gone, that Vince would have been more open-minded about how? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I
2: I really do. I really do. And, and at the same time, look, Vince will always give the benefit of doubt to the talent. You know, he'll always listen and go, okay, well, I understood why you did that. May not like it, but he, he would always listen and give him the benefit of the doubt.
1: Which is a direct conflict to the perception of Vince McMahon, isn't it? because there's always this perception, not amongst people that really work closely with Vince, but people that never worked for WWE, you know, who's ever in charge, whether it's Vince, pretty soon it'll be, you know, Paul Levesque or or you or, or whomever uh, is calling any shots. You're always uncooperative. You only want to see things your way, difficult to work with. And that wasn't my impression of Vince at all. In fact, the, cup of coffee that I worked there. I I, I wish he would have been a little less inclined to listen to
2: talent, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but that's the way he's been since I met him in 1987. I mean, he's always been that way. He's going to listen to talent. He's, he'll listen to everybody. And he's going to, he's going to weigh it. He's going to throw it into the computer and, and see what comes out, but he's going to listen to everybody. And he, he, relishes the talent feedback and being able to bounce things off of them. So in this regard, but at the same time it's like respect the company and respect what we do and don't you don't need to, you don't need that excuse on the way out to badmouth what we're doing.
1: And we're at November 9th, 1997. we're getting real close here and we've got tension, right? Brett has come out and made comments that Vince felt the need to publicly respond to, which is, again, a little bit unlike Vince, but he felt the need to do it. There has to be tension there. And according to what's-his-name, you're going into the most anticipated match inside of pro wrestling in years in a day of the show. uh, There's no finish. McMahon and Hart met that afternoon, and McMahon, according to this, said something to the effect of, what do you want to do? You've got me by the balls.
2: So wasn't that when uh, they were all mic'd in there? I don't remember Vince saying, you got me by the balls.
1: That I don't know.
2: Yeah, that was part of that documentary, Wrestling with Shadows or whatever.
1: I never saw that, by the way. Isn't that weird? Wow. I don't know why I never saw it. I guess I dig- maybe I will. Maybe. Yeah. I'm kind of leaning out of that stuff. You know, dark side of the ring kind of turned me off a little bit. Um, got to be too much. I think.
2: Yeah. And too one sided and everything else, but
1: that? it's just too dark and too negative. I mean, it is ring. So what the fuck Eric, you know, it's you kind of got to expect it, you know, but eh, it's not what I want people to feel about the industry.
2: No, because we've had fun in the business.
1: (laughs) You want people to have fun with it. I've had a bad, absolutely a blast and and grateful for every minute of it. So apparently, according to this uh, coverage, Hart said to Vince, let me hand you the belt on Raw the next night in Ottawa. Everybody knows I'm leaving. I'd like to tell the truth on Raw on Monday. And at this point, the truth wouldn't be talking about finances, contract breaches, arguments over finishes or anything like that. It was just, Brett. according to this, wasn't going to say anything that made McMahon or the company look bad publicly. Were you part of that discussion at all?
2: No, I I believe that was a discussion that they played on in the thing. And it was basically talking about the finish and Brett saying this and it was like, what do you want to do tonight? And Vince said, he goes, well, why don't we just, you know, we'll get to a schmoz or something and, and throw it out. And then we'll figure out the rest of it after that. I'm um, yep. oh, sorry. Go ahead. And, and, and so that's, that's what they went with, you know, to go to that finish where they'd have a couple of different run-ins and get a bunch of people involved and, and throw the match out and that uh, we'd figure out what's going to happen on Raw after the fact.
1: And with all of the tension and, again, the the publicity now surrounding it, the pressure of everybody knowing, and oh by the way, at this point, WWE is under a considerable amount of financial pressure. They're struggling, getting back on their feet with this new strategy. It would be a miracle, a miracle if things were to go smoothly. But speaking of miracle, Miracle Brand. Cue the music, dude. Winter is here. And for me, that means struggling to find the right temperature when I sleep. Because I do love to sleep. I only get about six hours a night. But when I do, I like it to be good. I used to sleep all night long. Get this using silver infused bed sheets by Miracle Brand that were inspired by NASA. Now, did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? I had no idea. I had to find out the hard way, right? Well, actually it was the easy way. I got Miracle Brand sheets. But if you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Brand's Bedsheets inspired inspired by silver infused fabrics made by NASA. Miracle Brand makes temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. <laughs> just Did you know that traditional bed sheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat? I kid you not, it can lead to acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and it's just gross as hell. Miracle Brand offers a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding, such as sheets, pillowcases, and comforters, that prevent—I should say—prevent ninety-nine percent of the bacteria, and, we, and it requires three times less laundry. Let me read that one over here because I stepped all over myself. Miracle brand offers a whole line of self cleaning, eco-friendly bedding, such as sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that prevent 99% of the bacteria and require three times less laundry. It's freaking eco-friendly, people! What could be better? Go to Miracle.com forward slash wrestle and use the code wrestle to claim your free three-piece towel set. My wife loves those by the way, and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com forward slash wrestle to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. No dirty sheets, people. No dirty sheets.
2: And, and full disclosure, Eric, you got you got yours, the sample that they sent us uh, beforehand so that we could try out and talk about how great they are. Well, once I got my sample, I went on to try miracle.com slash Russell and ordered three more sets of sheets. Folks are great. You're going to love them.
1: Yeah. Lori loves it too. She really does. And we'll probably be doing the same as a matter of fact.
2: Let me ask you, man, is this like the
1: most tense? I mean, I we've all been in tense situations, probably more than we can remember being in, but is this the one, is this, is this the most tense backstage situation you've ever been in?
2: Yes, uh, without a doubt. This was this was beyond tense. It was very uncomfortable. It was it, uh, Yeah, man. There were land, there were lines drawn in the sand. So I think going into it I'm optimistic. I think we were all optimistic that yeah, you know what, man, we'll figure this thing out. Everything's everything works out in the end. Did you were you talking to Brett much that day? I mean, were you trying
1: to stay close to him?
2: No. No. I, I mean, I talked to him, yeah, but I didn't get involved in in the match. I figured there were already too many uh, heads in that thing, and I know that Brett, you know, his stance, what he wanted to do, I knew what Vince wanted to do, and I knew what Vince had told him, that we'd do a schmoz, and that was the finish that I had. That was the finish that – that I thought was going to take place.
1: So so definitively here, because I've never asked you this before. I mean, It's funny, when you and I hung out, which we did a fair amount, um, I never asked you about half this stuff, so this is kind of interesting to me. But you didn't know at all? I did
2: not know at all. And I was at Gorilla. There were so many crazy things that took place that the conspiracy theorists could spin it Nine ways from Sunday. So that night, we were going to do um, a follow shot for both Brett and Sean walking backstage and then going out to the arena. Well, in order to do that, you've got to clear the area of right. people. Well, Undertaker wasn't on the show, and Undertaker um, was there, and he had been sitting with me at Gorilla all night long. Why? Just because he sat there with me, a gorilla, watching the show.
1: Did, it, did Taker have any idea what was going on?
2: No, well, it gets better. So Taker's been sitting with me all night. Well, I know we're going to do the follow shots. we are going to walk right by us. So I tell Marks, go, go watch in Vince's office uh, for the entrances because they're going to walk right by here. So he went to Vince's office. He stayed in Vince's office and watched the show in there. I'm at Gorilla with Davey and Owen in front of me. Well, there was a cue that they were supposed to come out. Well, the bell rang. Ding, ding, ding. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of new WWF champion, Shawn Michaels. And we're sitting there watching this and going, and I'm screaming on his head, who rang the fucking bell? And looking up, and Davey and Owen are like, What do we do? And go, what happened? And Owen's like, what happened? Because they forked him. They fucked Brett, and they're like, "What? Do we- how, do you say, how do
1: you say it again?" Say, they fuck a, him.
2: fucked him. They
1: fucked him. They fucked him. Fucked him with a like fuck Brett. fucked Brett. O O K E
2: D. Yeah, him. I like that. I see. They fucked him. So <laughs> they're like, "What do we do?" I said, "Well, fuck, go to the ring." I didn't know what to do, and I'm sitting there alone with those two, and none of us knew. And so I just sent them to the ring, which they they went out to the ring and and did their shit. And then, um, Sean and those guys came back, Sean threw the belt and Briscoe goes, get the belt. And I got up and picked up the, picked up the belt and was walking to Vince's office. Like I'm looking at Jerry because at that point there was that knowing look like you knew. And I could tell, but as I'm walking, I'm going back to Vince's office.
1: So Jerry knew? So Jerry knew. You Jerry knew.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jerry's the one that, that ended up, yeah, doing the, the finish with Earl and, and Sean. Those are the only ones that knew, to my knowledge, and Vince, obviously. But um, I'm going to Vince's office, and I see Undertaker standing in the hallway to Vince's office with his arms crossed, kind of like he's looking out and kind of guarding the office. And I'm looking at him, and I go, you knew to Taker because it looks like he's standing out there making sure nothing happens. And he looks at me like, you motherfucker, you knew. You sent me away. You knew. Ah, that's funny. That's funny.
1: That's how that shit happens, right? We're
2: pissed at each other, and I go in Vince's office. Taker goes down to the other locker room. And, you know, we, we did all of our, our shit and everything. And um, the Briscoe came in, uh, Vince came in, Shane came in and Jerry's like, you know, Hey, we're talking about, you got to go over there and that uh, you got, you got to face him. And he's like, yeah, no, I plan on it. I plan on facing him. Um, Just let's get, Everything we, we watched from Vince's office, Brett, destroy the, the ringside area and throw the monitors and all that stuff. But um, we we looked at it, and it's like, okay, let's go. And I remember uh, taking my watch off and, and leaving it in Vince's office because we didn't know. It was like everybody was mad at us. Um, we just didn't know. I remember Jerry Briscoe telling me, take my tie off. And I took my tie off. And we walked and made that long walk. Um, some members of the Hart family were spitting on us as we went by. It was uh, it was so intense. Who guys,
1: who, so who did you guys think you are going to have to fight?
2: And what? Well, you didn't know. I didn't know if, like, you know, uh, we're going to walk in there and and Brett and Neidhart and Davy and all them are going to, you know, want to fight everybody. You didn't know. Right. And we weren't going to let Vince go in there and just get beat up. So as we're going down the hallway, we got approached by um, uh, I think Undertaker first, and then Davey and Owen. And Vince was trying to explain to him, "Look, guys, you know, I did it for you. I did it for all of us. We've we're going to be here tomorrow. He's not. So I did all this for you." But- how did T- he Because T- I don't know,
1: take her at all. You you know him really well. I, I get the sense he's just a straight-up guy. Yeah, impression of him. How, how did? How did? Because now Taker's stuck in the middle, right?
2: Oh, he was pissed.
1: He was pissed at Vince. Yes. Why not be pissed at Brett? Brett for
2: because him. he didn't have all the information.
1: Ah, uh, okay.
2: So he's pissed at Vince, and he's like, "Well, Vince, he would have dropped it to me," and he, that's where all the what ifs and you should have done sure. this and you should have done that came from. Sure, but. You know, we went we went in, and, and I will say this definitively. Um, we went into the locker room where Brett was changing and Sean was in there too. And Undertaker cleared the entire locker room. The only people that were in that locker room were the people that were in the match, Undertaker, Vince, Jerry Briscoe, Shane, myself, and I think Tony Correa. I don't remember if Sarge was there or not, but nobody else was in there. But there was Nightheart and Davey Boy, Owen, Brett, Sean. Uh, was Rude there? I think Rude was there. It and was there. Uh, Hunter. And Earl obviously wasn't there. He'd already left. But, uh, you know, Vince came in and. Said it many times before, you know, it's it's Vince came in and they Davy went in and told Brett, Hey, Vince is here. And he's like, I don't want to talk to him. And then he's like, Yeah, well, he's here. And Brett Brett came out and was like, What do you what the fuck do you want? He goes, Brett, I came here to talk to you. He goes, Well, I'm gonna finish taking a shower. I'm gonna come out of here, I'm gonna get dressed, and then I'm gonna punch you out. And Vince was like, you do what you think you need to do type thing. And and Brett came out, man, got, you know, was drying himself off, sat down and got dressed. And Vince and Brett went back and forth, you know, and Brent's, Brett, um listened to him. And Vince was like, you know, I, I, what'd you expect me to do, Brett? I had to, I did what I think is right for my company, for everybody else here. You've got your deal. I wish we could have worked something out. I wish that, could have done this the right way, but um, I'm here standing in front of you. You know, I'm not running from you. I'm standing in front of you. I came to to talk to you. And uh, Brett finished getting dressed, man, tied his shoe, picked up his knee brace, put his knee brace in his bag, and came at Vince and threw one punch. And then everybody what? was in, in between them. Why? I'm surprised
1: – I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not. I shouldn't be surprised because I wasn't there. Right? Don't know the dynamics. Didn't experience them firsthand. But why did Brett beat the shit out of Sean?
2: Um. Before we got in there, apparently, and and this is in that documentary too, where uh, Brett asked Sean, "Sean, you weren't a part of that, were you?" He says, "No, I swear to God, I wasn't."
1: Huh.
2: So Sean had. had Claimed his innocence and that he didn't know anything about it.
1: And Brett and, and Brett believed him. Yeah. Interesting.
2: And so, so did you, did you just, know when
1: did you see Vince Kitch punched?
2: Oh yeah, I was right there.
1: What was what was everybody's I mean, what was everybody's reaction? Just gonna let it happen? I mean
2: Well, Jerry Briscoe said, look, you gotta what? face him, you gotta give him one. And he says, but he ain't getting any more than that. So it was, you know, Brett got his shot. Made it count, <laughs> you know. Um, but everybody was in between them before anything else could happen. Fucking
1: Jerry's just a righteous guy, isn't he? Yeah.
2: yeah. And I
1: mean, but, that's, that's some cowboy shit right there. Some Oklahoma yeah. cowboy shit right there.
2: Yep. And uh it was you know, we had Vince, the boys had uh Brett. Brett went back, sat on his bench, Vince came over and sat on the opposite bench, and we sat there for a minute. And um, then we left. Wow. But any any eyewitness account, and here's the other funny thing. I told you about, you know, seeing Brett at that autograph signing. It was right after uh, Jim Nightheart had passed. And Brett said, he goes, you know, he goes, you hear so many different versions of what took place that night. He goes, and yours was like spot on. He, he says, even Nightheart. He goes, up until the day Jim died. He goes, and you know how much I love Jim. Is, he had it just completely wrong <laughs> you know, and, it, <coughs> and Jim was right there but he had a completely different version of what happened and I've heard from people that oh, I was an eyewitness, I was in the corner no you weren't you <coughs> just, just weren't man um, take her through everybody out that did not need, to, if you weren't in the match or you weren't with us you got out, you weren't there and Taker was going to make sure that nothing else happened beyond what happened.
1: And I, I I wasn't watching. I didn't know anything about any of this stuff until I got a phone call from Rick Rude that night. And Rude was pissed. He was hot. And, of course, Rude didn't know. Like, Undertaker didn't know. And a lot of people didn't know. You didn't know. Right. Right? So all you
2: know is what. Pat didn't know and it was his match. Yeah. It's, it's, but Rude called me and he was
1: fucking livid and ended up on my TV, I think the next night to me. It's weird.
2: Yeah. No, it was the next, it was the next week. The following week. So we did, yeah, because we did TV the next night and then it was the following week.
1: Oh, yeah, because he was on tape. You he didn't was see on tape. He was tape and then he's on my show live and your show tape. That was weird.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i had been smartened up to it uh earlier in the day that uh rick was going to be on your show and we contemplated taking him out of the show and then it was like eh, fuck them two places at once
1: what a story i guess it's still fun to talk about i love hearing about it from the perspective of you and jerry and Undertaker. Cause I can imagine something like that happening. And when you don't know all of the facts and you're just reacting and, and you're reacting to a situation that involves people that you have genuine affection for and respect for, but you, you don't know the details.
2: It's, yeah. And in the next day. So I didn't speak to Taker that night at all. And, and I, it was pretty much Jerry and I were together and we, Made sure Vince and Shane, this is Vince, Shane, and Jerry and myself traveling together. And we made sure that everybody got back to the hotel okay. And then Jerry and I uh, went to my room and just, you know, you're up all night. There's so many emotions going through your mind. And, and to us, it was just such a big deal to be involved in it at the time. And I'm like, why why didn't you smart me up, man? I was sitting duck there. And he said, I, I couldn't, I just, I couldn't. And now you fast forward to the next day and the next day, you know, I'm waiting on taker. Cause it's like, you know, I need to get the, I need to get to the big man and I need to talk to him to let him know what happened and why he's not showing up, not showing up finally, He gets there, and I was standing there with Jack Lanza, somebody else, and Taker came up, and you know how you can smell the alcohol on someone if they've been drinking, had a real long night the night before?
1: It it doesn't smell like, oh, you just had a beer. It's like
2: that sour, putrid. Yeah, And, and Taker reeked, and I'm like, oh, boy. And so he shakes the other two's hand, and I have my hand out for him to shake. And he just looks at me and looks at my hand. Ooh. And I'm like, Ooh. Um, Ooh. Can we go talk? I, says, I don't know if we have anything to talk about. I said, I think we do. Can we go talk? And we went over and there was like, you know, how they have sections of of the arena seating sometimes backstage in different parts of the building. So we go sit down and I said, I'll start. I can't believe you didn't smarten me up. He looks at me and goes, what? I can't believe that you let me sit out there uh, by myself. And you didn't smart me up to what was going on. So what the fuck are you talking about? <clears throat> well, you went to Vince's office, and you're sitting there like guarding the door and shit. You, you had to know because you sent me away. <laughs> you sent me to Vince's office. I said I sent you to Vince's office for the entrances. Said, well, how am I supposed to know that? So neither of us knew. Now we're comparing notes going back and forth on everything that had happened that day. And we both feel like dumb, dumb shits, but still it was pretty tense. Cause I don't think if he really believed that I didn't know, but the worst thing that happened was while Taker and I are talking, Vince came over to say hello to Taker. And he came over and said, Mark, how you doing? And Mark cut him off and said, when I'm done with him, I'll come find you. (laughs) And Vince walked away and I was like, man, he doesn't deserve that. And you're the last person that really should have done that to him today. So are we good? Like, you know, we were good. And I said, please go find him, talk to him because he needs you right now. You know, he needs your support. And Taker went and talked to him and they, they hashed all their shit out and, and everything. But, but I always, I, I was hot at Vince. I was hot at Vince for not telling me. And I told him so. Why, do you, he,
1: he why do you think he didn't tell you? I mean, you're right there. I mean, you're, you're there with him.
2: Man. He wanted me to be able to say, I didn't know. He didn't want me to have to lie to Brett or anybody else. So if I didn't know, then I wouldn't have lied to anybody. and That's pretty cool when you think about it. And he was, you know, and I was still mad at him because I was like, well, you know, you should trust me. And he goes, it's not a matter of trust. It's a matter of protecting you. It's a matter of if you had known that would have eaten you alive all day long and you would have been nervous and you would have, you know, been on guard and all these other things. He goes, you can look anybody in the eye and say, I wasn't, Wasn't aware. I didn't know. And so we got back to the office, whatever that Tuesday or Wednesday. And I I was late. It was, when I say late, it was about eight or nine o'clock at night. And I just had my, a lamp on in my office. And the office was dark except for this lamp. And Vince was going home. And he, he walks by and he saw that my light was still on in the office. And he came in and he said, are you still mad? I said, I'm not mad. I'm just, maybe I'm hurt because I would think that you could have smartened me up to something like that. And he went through the whole thing again about, you know, I was protecting you and blah, blah, blah. And he says, and uh, he goes, I know you're probably pissed at Sean too. He goes, well, let me ask you this. How many other guys do you know would have done and had the balls to do what he did for everybody else on the roster? He didn't know what Brett was going to do in that situation. None of us did. But he was willing to go out there and do it because I asked him to. So rather than being pissed off at him, maybe you should thank him next time you see him. Wow. And that stuck with me because, you know, you don't think of it like that. No, you
1: don't think from that perspective at all.
2: And, and And I actually called Sean right then. And I said, "Hey, man, um, I know things are tense, TV and paper and, and all this stuff. I just wanted to thank you. That was it, just nothing more, nothing less. But you don't think of it if that you know through that perspective when when you're in it and everything's hot and heated and everything's going on all around you because it's it, you only want to think of it through your eyeballs and how how it affects you, right? right. And." that's where I think people get a little confused. Brett was looking at it, how it affected Brett. Sean was looking at it, how it affected Sean. Vince had to look at the whole picture and how it's going to affect the company going forward.
1: And unfortunately, none of it had to happen. But nobody knew that. Right. Nobody knew that.
2: Yeah. Nobody knew what they didn't know. Exactly. But would you, if you were going to write it, I don't think that, if I had the opportunity to actually write that, I don't know if I could have written it as well as, as how it turned out because it, it turned out, you know, pretty good for everybody. Um, except maybe Brett, you know, in, in, in Brett's, in Brett's mind, I think Brett felt less than, especially in Canada. And he does take his, his Canadian pride to completely different levels and he's, Proud to be a Canadian and proud to be a a Canadian hero. So more power to him. And and I
1: I I will tell you this, Bruce, when he got to WCW, and I've said this before, and I guess because I didn't put it in the proper context like this conversation, um, Brett's relationship with his fans in Canada is unique. He it matters a lot to or it ma- I don't know what it is now I haven't talked to Brett in a long time but I'm I imagine it's still very important to him Brett was crushed I mean he was the Brett that I talked to before he actually showed up to work I was a completely different Brett just I can't explain it other than confident easy to easy uh, Generally, positive, but, you know, Brett was never, in my experience, a, an outwardly expressive person. You know, he was kind of a quiet, little bit of a loner. Um, but boy, was he! He was a different cat. When after all that was over, it probably took him a long time.
2: So let me ask you this: w- When did you first hear about it? Did you watch it live? No, I, I didn't hear it. Why not? No. You can't buy a pay per view for fuck's sake. No, I,
1: just, I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't. There was no reason to watch you guys. We were so far ahead of you that I didn't want to be negatively influenced by anything that you guys were doing. Ah,
2: that was awesome. No, I just, I honestly, maybe, Hey Eric, maybe <laughs> you should have.
1: <laughs> I was trying to shift gears real quick before you fired that one back. I set myself up for that one. Uh, no, no, I typically, I, I didn't, and I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to be a smart ass here, but I, I didn't watch the pay-per-views. I, I was focused on what I was doing and I knew I'd see it. I'd see a tape or something. I'd hear about it. If there was something significant that was interesting or, or, or something I needed to know, I'd find out about it the next day. So I was just sitting at home with my wife and my kids watching something on television and, and Rick Rude called me, um, Rick and I had been friends going back to just after high school. Um, and Rick called me and kind of explained what was going on. And then I talked to Zane Bresloff and a couple other people that had relationships within WWE that also saw a lot of it and uh, brought me up to speed, but I didn't see it all. I didn't know. I didn't see it go down to the next day.
2: So Interesting you paid, for, time so you paid for the replay? Probably. Okay. Thank you probably
0: can't believe this is real but woo wings your very own virtual restaurant concept is now open and fans can enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with their uber eats or postmates app woo wings is now open in nashville san antonio Jacksonville as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa right here in Alabama many more locations coming soon as a virtual restaurant Woo Wings is looking to partner with existing restaurants in major metro areas tell your favorite sports bar or local restaurant you want Woo Wings in your town and to visit rickflairwings.com for more information on how to become a partner but if you're in Nashville San Antonio Jacksonville Huntsville or Tuscaloosa hop on your Uber Eats or Postmates app and look for Woo Wings and try the only chicken wings worthy, carrying the name of the 16-time World Heavyweight Champion, Woo Wings. Be sure to check out com to become a partner. Bruce,
1: this has been a blast, man. I... I, I, I was really looking for, first of all, cause we never get a chance to talk anymore. I, I have so much respect for what you do and I know how busy you are and I know how much pressure you under. So I'm, I'm not the guy that's going to pick up the phone and call you. I'll send you a text every once in a while, but to have a chance to sit down and do this is really, uh, it was fun for me, brother. I appreciate
2: oh, it. Oh, same here. And again, I think it's a just unique perspectives on looking at it through different lenses during the time. And I think that when, you know, you were doing what you were doing. You were doing it for your business. <laughs> you know, people think we take business personally, but we do it for what's best for business. And that's what I think people mistake a lot of times. And they they look at you as this evil leader that was just trying to put everybody out of business. And it was all personal. And there's a there's part of it that is personal, very personal.
1: I, I did a lot of shitty stuff, you know, I mean. We all did You know, I mean, I did things to lead the audience to believe it was personal, but it really wasn't. It was just business.
2: Absolutely. And that that's the thing that people, you know, forget. And when you're on one side or the other, you have to choose a side and go for it. Yeah. And from where we were in that situation with Brett was you guys were were evil and you know tampering in our shit, even though at that point, that one wasn't tampering. That one was fair game. That one was yep. – Brett was available uh, at the time, and then we signed him, and then later on it was we made him back available to you. <laughs> so it wasn't – there's still going to be the perception that you play dirty. No matter no matter what, no matter whatever happens, and people will sit there and believe that you and I uh, spent six hours going over exactly how we're going to handle this when we said hello and go, okay, roll tape. <laughs> you know? That's wrong. Well, we'll just do it on air. Um, Cause it's, you go back then, there was no conspiracy. There was no, not a whole lot of thought that everybody can talk about all the other bullshit. It's, it's just bullshit is, is what it all comes down to. And we get to a point where, You know, Brett could do this with us and could give his perspective on things. And I don't think that, you know, the three of us would be too far off in anything that we said.
1: Yep. I agree, brother. So, Listen, next week, Conrad is going to be back and you two are going to be discussing Miss Elizabeth, one of my favorites. Elizabeth! Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) The original First Lady of Wrestling and his time with her in business, your time with her in the business. From Randy, the Mega Powers, to Hulk, her turn, and then even going to WCW. It'll all be covered. Over at atfreeshows.com, you get 14 podcasts early in ad 3 for as little as 9 bucks. But there's also a ton of bonus content. I just had some fun doing some last night, as a matter of fact. A lot of great experiences waiting there for you, too. Shows just launched a brand-new series called The Book. Taking a month-by-month journey through the actual handwritten booking logs of Jim Crockett Promotions and World Class with David Crockett and David Manning. Conrad also just released the 48th volume of Ask Conrad, where you get to ask him any questions you want. Axel Jim Duggan will be joined by add Shows, or joined ad Free Shows recently for a live QA. Members have got to do a watch along with Jake Roberts. So much more. It's all waiting for you over at 3 Do me a favor for my buddy Bruce like subscribe leave a five-star rating because he deserves it and he's a good dude Twitter handles at e excuse me at Bruce Pritchard at e Bischoff the show handle is at Pritchard show go to YouTube like subscribe and turn on notifications at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle Bruce I know this is your day off you don't get many of them give your wife a hug for me. By the way, I got a text from Amber the other day. She's uh, she's still working on the bus and planning on coming out. I'm excited about
2: that. Yeah, the bus is shaping up. It's kind of scary. Very Amber's great. my daughter, and her and her boyfriend took a school bus and are like renovating it, and it's uh, moving along pretty good. And they're going to go out to Wyoming and see Eric at some point.
1: Yeah, they're going to hopefully in it. the summer. Oh, yeah, you don't want to. <laughs> Bruce, I love you. Stay well, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon, buddy.
2: Eric, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Rock on.
1: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together,